0: You're listening to Fourth and Seventeen, the Devon Vele Podcast, presented by Fan Nation, all youths. Please subscribe and leave a review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. New episodes for season one will be released every other Tuesday.
1: Welcome to season one, episode one of fourth and seventeen, the Devon Vele Podcast. I'm joined by Devon Vele. Devon, how's it going?
0: I'm doing good. How you doing?
1: Good. We're happy to get this thing started. Walk us through the name real quick. Why fourth and 17? Obviously, your number 17, but talk to me about that.
0: When I was kind of thinking of a podcast name, you know, whenever it's fourth down, you always got to think of a big play that's coming up. And um, I obviously, my number is 17, so I thought... You know, when it's fourth down, I want people to know that they can turn to 17 to make that mm-hmm. big play to get that first down. So I feel like this podcast is kind of getting to know me, getting to know the the guy behind that number. And Not only that, just knowing why I can be that guy that everybody can trust.
1: Awesome, I love that. Have you ever converted a fourth and 17? Is that lined up? Uh, you no, know?
0: we usually we usually punt in a situation like that. So. <laughs> <laughs> and,
1: and,
2: and sometimes it's cam punting, right? Depends oh on yeah, that. definitely. So, <laughs> well, QB pooch. <laughs> Yeah, hey, Devon, why do you wear 17?
0: I Actually, my my high school number is nine. I used My my favorite high school players used to be Tavon Austin and uh, Amari Cooper. Growing up, I used to watch their film all the time. They wore number nine. Um, but as I got older and then, like, when we got to college, someone already had the number nine. And um, I started watching Devontae Adams. He was another receiver that I really loved watching, how he does his footwork, how he plays the game, and, you know, even just his story of how he came into the NFL. Because people see him now as, like, somebody who's, like, you know, they always thought he was a top dog, but at the beginning of his career, you know, he was struggling at first. You know, I felt like that was kind of like a background that I had too. like, I had that struggling at the beginning of trying to find who I am as a player and how much I could contribute, but then finding my footing. So Devontae Adams has always been like a big inspiration for me. So that's why I wore 17.
1: I love hearing the the stories about like your inspirations and guys that you kind of either try to model your game after or just thought that you're you know, impressed you enough to put that same number on. I think every yeah. kid kind of can relate to that growing up through sports. But just to introduce ourselves, my name is Lyric Clark. I'm co-hosting and producing this. I'm also joined by Cole Bagley. We're really excited to get this podcast rolling. Season one will carry us through the majority of the offseason here leading up to the start of the season, and we'll probably kick off season two uh, when we start playing those games under the lights. Devon, let's just get into your background here. Tell us about where you're from, what your childhood was like.
0: Uh, yeah, so I was actually born in Indianapolis, Indiana. Mm. Um, I lived there for the first few years of my life from about to age six. I was going back between Indiana and Chicago. And then um, my mom got a job in California, so we moved to San Diego. And from there, I just lived in San Diego, but just in different parts like Riverside. We lived at one point. And, uh, but most of my majority of my life in California was mostly in San Diego, just moving about in different counties down there.
1: Yeah, he didn't but, want to stick around in the 909 for too long
0: oh yeah definitely <laughs> but yeah no inside I, I, Southern I guess,
1: California jokes cool
0: yeah I definitely enjoy I definitely, definitely claim California more than Indiana but I yeah. didn't want to be like every other fan that's a Lakers fan or a Dodgers fan so that's why I picked the Colts and you know the Pacers cool. like I wanted to be a little bit different from everybody else than just being the basic fan but I am yeah. a Cali born or Cali raised kid but you know i'll claim the indiana teams for now
1: (laughs) yeah it's nice to diversify your your sports portfolio you can claim
0: oh yeah definitely kind of
1: hop you didn't want to be a chargers fan come on
0: uh i mean nah i I don't know like so it was funny actually so because i lived in indiana and chicago um, I remember in 2006 when I first started watching football. Yeah, that was it was either 2005 or 2006 when the Super Bowl between the Chicago Bears and the Indianapolis Colts. Yeah, that was awesome. and I remember watching that game. I, I told myself, whoever wins that Super Bowl is the team I'm going to start rooting for from now on. <laughs> so that was when the Colts won that year. But I thought yeah. the Chicago Bears were going to win because when Devin Hester had that uh, kickoff return for a touchdown, that was pretty crazy. <laughs> right,
1: that was I think the first year where I could really like comprehend sports. Like I, I remember kind of watching. Some like Kobe and Shaq years, in like yeah. early two thousands, and like some Super Bowls before that with like the Steelers, Seahawks, and stuff. But that that Super Bowl specifically was the first one where I was like, I know what's going on. I'm <laughs> playing mad, and I know I know what this all means. Like I know how to like manage the clock and stuff like yeah. that. No, that Devin, that Devin Hester kick return, I was like, mm-hmm. there's one, it's over. Yeah. <laughs> but I was I was going for the Colts because my dad like Peyton Manning, and so I was kind of going for that. And so that was cool and best halftime show performance probably of all time until maybe this last one this last halftime was sick but yeah
0: <laughs> Prince
1: Prince seeing purple rain when they have mm-hmm. the purple lights on and it started yep. raining during that performance like <laughs> that was legendary yeah um, it's actually
0: funny you bring that up about the Madden thing because that was actually why I knew the Colts team like in and out I knew all the players and everything because we were playing yeah. Madden so much and I remember like my favorite players like Dallas Clark Dwight mm. Freeney, you know Marvin Harris and all Bob, those guys. Sanders. Bob Sanders yeah he was a Beast Reggie
1: Wayne, the Dye. That was a sick yep. team. The cool thing about that team, they had Robert Mathis and Dwight Freeney, two yep. like elite I... pass rushers. Like,
0: yep. Couldn't and they had Brackett as well at linebacker. Yeah. Man, we had, yeah, it was a good year that year.
1: <laughs> yeah. So tell me about your family. You said your mom got a job in San Diego. What did your parents do for work? And do you have a lot of brothers and sisters? Or,
0: uh, So I'm actually an only child. And um, so my mom is actually an electrical engineer. Cool. And so she's kind of uh, the inspiration for me who I, I wanted to be an engineer myself, but kind of more towards like civil engineering.
1: Mm-hmm. But
0: um, yeah, that was the, she used to work for uh Rolls Royce is what they were called back then where she worked on the helicopters. And then they kind of transitioned to uh, another company called Hamilton Sunstrand where they worked on like um, APUs, like all the, electronical units within like airplanes and all that stuff so mm-hmm. but yeah that was a job she was working at so that's why we were stationed in San Diego for so long she worked over there for a long time she still is an electrical engineer but she works for a different company now but yeah um but yeah like I said I'm I'm an only child um my mom actually raised me as a single mother growing up gotcha. um and then she met my dad now who she's married to um and you know he's been a big part in our life uh he's been that uh, father figure I always needed growing up Um, It was hard growing up at first because I had to learn to be really independent Mm -hmm. Um, because my mom was working a full time job. You know, being an engineer demands a lot of your time. And so I was usually bouncing around between like daycares or we had family members that would take care of me or pick me up from school and all that stuff while she was working. So, uh, you know, having that father figure uh, come into my life, my dad now. So, you know, he was a big part in, uh, you know, just bringing that stability in the home. And, you know, Mm -hmm. I give a lot of uh, props to him for, you know. You know, picking me and my mom. You know, helping us out. So I definitely love them. I love my parents. You know, they set a great example of like working hard, and that's kind of like my mantra and everything I do in my life is just always working hard. Everything you ever want to achieve is always through working hard. And you know, my parents always did that with me. They always worked hard. They worked countless hours just Mm -hmm. to make sure I had a good life growing up as a kid.
1: Yeah, I think having a good father figure, or if it's not specifically like you know someone in that father role, some good adult role models you know, to mm-hmm. follow after. And I think that's one of the biggest difference makers and kind of our society right now is like people that have that, don't have that role model that end up struggling a lot of time. So that's massive. I'm sure you made a, a massive impact on your life.
0: Yes, definitely.
1: Devon, Devon, if I can intercede really fast, um, what's the bond <clears throat> like
2: with your mom? I mean, you know, you talked about how she raised you as a single mother for, for a time. What's the bond like between the two of you from, you know, just based off that experience?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: You know, at first it was a little bit rocky. I was a, I was kind of a bad kid growing up. <laughs> I was a hard-headed kid. So, um, you know, I, I give a lot of props to my mom because when I look back to how I used to kind of like be around her, you know, I could have been a lot nicer, a lot more gentler with her, especially with how much she was sacrificing for me. Um, but I noticed as I got older and I matured and I started understanding the, you know, the adult life, the situations and everything that she went through, you know, it's amazing how much of a superwoman she was. Like doing that, juggling the job and juggling me as well, you know, like putting everything. I guess you could say it's just like understanding the the situation we we're in, and understanding what she had to do to make sure that she was providing for our family and helping me to have a good life that I wanted to, or that she wanted me to have. And so, you know, I love her so much, and even now we're we're we're, we're definitely close to each other. We we always tell each other everything. And, you know, I love my mom so much. I, I can easily stand my mama's boy. Um, You know, everything I do is, you know, I want to make her proud. And it's the same could be said for my dad as well. You know, I have a lot of respect for him as well. And I love him as much Um, because, you know, like I said earlier, he was the one who came in and helped uh, fill in that hole that both my mom and uh, myself needed in our family. So, you know, we're, we're definitely a great relationship. And as I mentioned before, everything I do is always for them and for my family in general.
1: Tell me about the culture of your family. I know you're half Simone, right? Yes. So tell me about how that's kind of impacted you and, and the culture of that.
0: As you mentioned, yeah. Samoans are Polynesians. It's the easier way for everybody knowing that we're from the islands of Samoa. Yeah. Um, everybody always knows us as the the friendly giants. We're all these huge people that like they are really scary to look at, but we're actually like really nice people and like big, like we're huge family-oriented people. Um, everything we do is always about family. And that's kind of what shaped me growing up is um always putting our family first understanding the importance of family understanding the importance of that last name that you have on your back you know what I mean so everything I always do is for my family as I mentioned um there's not a day that goes by where you know there's going to be days like your fall camp where it's like middle of August and it's like 100 degrees outside and you're practicing for two days and you start questioning whether you love the sport of football but you start remembering like why you're doing this you're doing it for for your family you mm-hmm. know to to represent that family name. And so, you know, in the Samoan culture, we always put our family first, um, understanding the the importance of what we have to do to achieve that and, um, you know, just finding that extra gear to, to find the thing that you need to do to provide for your family. So, you know, I'm grateful for the example my parents set. they're such great examples of um, being selfless people. And that's kind of what shaped the kind of person I am is always trying to be as selfless as I can be Um, like especially with me deciding on picking college coming to football um, out of high school I didn't have a lot of offers I had a couple D1 offers but they were D1 AA and I felt like I was a little bit I I could play at the higher level of those power five schools Mm. and I remember when I told my parents that it was more so at first they were wondering whether or not that was the best decision only because I could get a free education at a D1 AA school or trying to pursue my dream. But, you know, they never forced anything upon me. They always said, it's whatever you wanna do, we're always gonna support you, we'll always be there for you. And, you know, I'm grateful that my parents were like that because that's what helped me shape the decisions that I I made and understand like the consequences as well as the benefits I could reap from those choices that I made. That they weren't choices from other people, they were my own choices.
1: Right. And so
0: that's why I'm grateful that my parents were such big advocates at always doing what I wanted to do, but guiding me there. They're not forcing anything upon me. And it was the same thing when I went on my mission. I wasn't going to serve a mission, but, you know, certain uh, circumstances and situations occurred to where, you know, I I got humbled to the point where I decided to serve a mission. And even when I wasn't planning on serving, like my parents never looked at me in a different way, or they were never disappointed in me. They were always proud of whatever I did and they'd always stand behind me in whatever Mm -hmm. choice I made. And so that's what's got me to this point. And, you know, I can never, like words can never express how grateful I am for my parents for
1: what they've done for me. So, yeah. Where did you go on your mission? I went to Samoa actually. <laughs> nice, there you go. Yeah, <laughs> it's meant to be. So I live in I live in Hawaii. We're in a small city called Haula. It's like okay, close, close to North Shore Oahu. In our neighborhood, it's very like small town, quiet, and probably like ninety percent Polynesians. So I walk yeah. around. I'm I'm, I'm sore of thumb sticking out around here, but yeah, it's it's really fun. And everything you said is super true. I think there's a mindset you either live to work or you work to live, you know, Mm -hmm. and it's just like what you value more in life. And I can see from our community here, they will do whatever they need to do to get back and spend as much time with their family as possible. Yeah. And weekends, the beach is packed with tents, all the cars there, everyone's cruising around and it's just family all the time. Like it's really impressive and it's hard for it. Like we're considering staying or, you know, how long we want to be here, but it's hard to leave that, that, family culture yeah. it's not like mm-hmm. that in other places yeah was, yeah, was it like that in samoa
0: yeah um samoa is definitely um it's it's a third world country so they're they not like very like advanced when i served there like we showered from buckets i had like we stayed at these uh chapels that have these little faucets in the back i shoot out this brown water it's not even <laughs> clean water but you had to fill up a bucket and you get a bowl and you'd have like a we call it yes yeah. it's like those little cloth things that people think look like skirts kind of thing right, right. and uh, we would wrap those around us and then we just use the bucket and we just pour the water on us and we'd scrub and clean ourselves in that same bucket we'd use to do our laundry so we'd oh, fill it wow. back up with that water and we do so you know it's it was a very humbling experience and the Polynesian yeah. people just in general not just Samoans but Tongans as well Fijians like all the Polynesian people it's a we're very humble people we always put God first and then mm-hmm. our family Just growing up in that kind of situation. And I, even for me seeing it when I was in Samoa for two years, you see kids who don't even have toys. They don't have things that they get to play with. You know, they're making like makeshift little boats out of aluminum cans from soda cans. And -hmm. like on rainy days, they would let the, like the waterways from the rain, like their little river for the little boats that they play with. And then like, when you get older, you're working in the plantations, working for the farms. Those farms are the food that you basically get to eat every day. So there are hardworking people, um, very humble. They understand where we come from. And there's always that saying, it's like, you can't know where you're going unless you know where you're from. Mm -hmm. And understanding those roots is something that Polynesian people always uh, pride themselves on, is understanding where we come from. We know where we come from. It's uh, from those humble beginnings, those poor backgrounds that shaped us to where we are now, regardless of if your family is doing well off than other families. We all understood where we come from. We all come from that small, that little rock in the middle of the ocean that nobody knows about, where the right. letters Samoa are bigger than the actual island. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, um, you know, it's a, it's a very humbling experience and going on my mission definitely humbled me a lot to realize how grateful I am for the situations I do live in and mm-hmm. the, the, the blessings that my parents gave me, you know, growing up where we did have things, we did have a washer, we did have a dryer we had a microwave; we could eat food. You know, back in Samoa, we don't have that. Yeah, we didn't have a washer or dryer. We didn't have a microwave. So if we had leftovers, you just had to eat it cold.
1: <laughs> right, right. And
0: I remember days just walking endless miles, kind of thing, just not having really a lot of food, but you're just being grateful that you're out there doing the work.
1: Yeah. Okay, I got, I got a question about just Polynesian culture in general. It might sound funny, but a lot of my Polynesian friends, like on social media, it seems like every single weekend they're either at a funeral a wedding or a new baby's born that's their cousin right their <laughs> uncle died <laughs> right their cousin's getting married or they got a new baby cousin yeah everyone's family <laughs> talk to me about that because like sometimes I'm like all right was that really your uncle or like how is what's this relation like
0: no it's that's 100 percent accurate there's always something going on with the Polynesian people we're either partying going to a funeral or having a wedding or having a kid's birthday parties <laughs> there's no in between so no but uh you know that family oriented thing i was talking about it, it's a real thing like sometimes people aren't actually blood related or just like a very close friend but we call them cousin we call them uncle or auntie the yeah. reason why is because that's just the love that we have for our people you know mm. uh, we always view everybody as a brother or sister or uncle and auntie a cousin and that's yeah. why you always see people joke around when they see like Troy paulamalu or or you know what i mean like they'll be like, oh that's my uncle the Rock's yeah. my uncle, you know, they always be saying that just because they're Polynesian, but that's yeah. just kind of how we are, you know, J- Juju Smith's everybody Smith's that cousin. we see, we're always proud. Yeah, <laughs> like we always see people like that and, you know, we're we're proud of our Polynesian heritage, especially when we see our brothers and sisters doing big things, you know, like what yeah. The Rock is doing, what Troy Polamalu did, or what Juju and all those guys are doing, you know, we're yeah. always proud of our people, we're all proud of our heritage, where we come from, and that's why we always be making jokes like that, but in the end, we all really are family. We're all yeah. related. We're all from the same people. So, yeah,
1: no, that's cool. Um, I have a I have a baby. She's almost one years old. And so when we're out on walks around here, like people will introduce themselves as auntie or uncle Tess, and it makes me feel good. <laughs> I, I like it.
0: No, that I, that's what I love about that vibe. It's awesome. Yeah, I
2: like Devon, it. Devon, can you talk about um, kind of the? There's a lot of Polynesians uh, on, mm-hmm. on the youth, right? Can you talk about maybe the camaraderie and, and the closeness of that group? Um, at the University of Utah.
0: Oh yeah, the that's one of the big things I actually was wanting to come to Utah for was how strong the Polynesian community is out here. Um, there's a lot of Polynesians um, in Salt Lake City, and not just here in just Provo areas in Utah in general. And even just being on the Utah football team, like you can definitely see that. Like I would say, about a third of our team are Polynesian, and you can see it as well in the coaches. We have a lot of coaches that are Polynesian as well, and so um, you know that that relationship and that bond we have because we have the same standards we have the same understandings you know grew up the same way that's why we're so close to each other like we may not have to be best friends with each other but we understand each other to the point where we see each other we'll always be like hey what's up loser we say what's up toko and you know what i mean it's always friendly with each other it's like you don't have to hang out with them enough but you'd always tell them you're like hey if you ever need anything you know i'm here i got you that's just the kind of like relationship all the Polynesians have on the team and you know I feel like that's also rubbing off with a lot of the other players because some players coming from like you know like Florida and Texas and all them they don't they've never seen a Polynesian before until they came to Utah that's what some of them told me and they just thought we were just really big Mexicans that's what they thought (laughs) we were (laughs) but yeah no like explaining it to them and then them just seeing the kind of vibe that we have I feel like that's rubbing off on a lot of the team uh like a lot of the teammates because you know they start doing this same things now where they're always like being super friendly, always saying, what's up, giving you a hug or, you know, pat on the back, everything, you know, it's just always giving themselves up. And I feel like that's what's made our team so special to where that brotherhood is so much different than from other teams because that Polynesian heritage is kind of implemented into the program.
2: I spend a lot of time talking with recruits and whatnot, and and every single time it's it's all about family, right? Like mm-hmm. family is the biggest thing at Utah. And, you know, we did, we did a podcast with, with Tyler Knack and, and Jalen Glover earlier this week, and they talked about a big brother program that Utah does. And it's just, I really do think that that has a big impact because not only are you guys proving that you're a force to be reckoned with on the football field, but if you can not only be that, but also be a family, it's hard to turn down an offer from a school that is ranked in the top 10 and also cares about you as an individual, right? Yeah. I mean, there's plenty of programs out there that are, um, are going to compete and are going to win championships, but Utah does really care about each other. And it's, you know, that was shown um, especially this last year, you know, with everything that went on, but I, I would agree with you. I think that, that that a lot of that does stem from just a culture of, you know, that, that comes from the Polynesians and whatnot.
1: So. Mm-hmm. Talk to me about your little league football career like were you was it always football all the time did you play other sports too or what was kind of your development through sports
0: first sport i ever played was baseball i was in little league baseball but i don't remember it that much but i do remember my mom telling me i was actually really good at baseball but i didn't stick with it because i thought it was boring i didn't think it was that much fun you didn't really get to do much um and i think after we moved it to california She put me into a flag football league where I played for a little bit, but I was actually really bad at it because I didn't know how to play football. I didn't know what football was. So there was a couple of times I'd run the ball the wrong way or like, so they actually kept me on defense because when they put me on offense, I couldn't, I didn't know which way was the touchdown. So, (laughs) um, I was actually more of a gaming kid growing up. I played a lot of video games with a lot of my cousins. Um, I was kind of a nerd, uh, you know, um, I didn't, actually start getting into football until I think seventh grade is when I played Pop Warner. Mm. And, um, I actually, I think my first position was uh running back, running back. I was playing running back for a little bit and I think safety, uh, but it, cra- actual crazy statistic is that actually in every form or level of football I've played in, we've actually won a championship. Wow. So in Pop Warner, we won our championship. It was called the best of the West championship. Yeah. We won that, uh, when I was in eighth grade. And then even in high school, we won our state championship my senior year. And then even just coming into college football, we won the Pac-12 championship. So I thought that was pretty cool. Um, so an NFL team is more be like, On
1: the roster and – yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, hey, we'll, Hopefully, we'll that's tag on all the hopefully.
0: NFL teams. I know. I, I, I might have to uh, publicize that, let them know that I might be the good luck charm that they need. <laughs>
1: Come on, Chargers. We need one, Chargers. Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, um, but, yeah, even going into high school, though, I actually – I actually didn't play receiver for a full season until my senior year Mm because my freshman and sophomore year, um, I actually played receiver for like our first four games for first four or five games. And then like our quarterback situation was kind of a tough one. We had good quarterbacks, but it was just like one of those things where they either got injured or they had like some issues off the field or something like that. So um, I remember it was during one of our practices. One of the coaches saw me throwing the ball and I was actually throwing it super far and so they were like have you ever played quarterback before and I was like no but they're gonna try you at it and so I ended up finishing my freshman year playing quarterback and we we started off oh and five and we finished five and five so I won mm. five straight games my freshman year there you go and so I I mean quarterback was cool the quarterback was cool but wait, I, wait, wait I just, Devon I so are, you, you, come so in, are I, you
2: coming for Cam Rising's job right now no absolutely are you, are you? not <laughs>
0: But I will. I will Kinda say I, like I could it. probably throw far. I could throw the ball farther than Cam. I mean, it might have <laughs> to be a challenge. But uh, between between me, Cam, and Dalton Kincaid, we're, we're we're one of the few people that could throw the ball probably the farthest on the team. <laughs> uh, how
1: far? How far are we talking? But, um, What's your personal record?
0: I think sixty-five was mine. But yeah. I think Dalton threw wow. almost seventy.
1: <laughs> Jeez! Once you start getting in the high sixties, that's different.
0: <laughs> no yeah dawn has got an arm and so does cam so yeah. like i said we just be trying to we always try to see who could throw the farthest after like our p flexes or after practices just to see who can you know that little ego right. ego test that we do after practice but a little competition <laughs> so um, when, when you're yeah. playing
1: when you're playing pop warner were you always like the biggest kid or did you kind of grow later um, in high school or no
0: i kind of grew later so i started off the like the tallest kid but then I just didn't hit a growth spurt so like everybody started passing me up so that's why I still stuck at running back and I played corner and safety but I wasn't really tall so I can see why they didn't put me at receiver but um but I was actually always usually the fastest kid on the team um mm-hmm. I was actually one of the fastest kids on the team growing up and then um coming into high school like I said I did play quarterback uh both my freshman and sophomore year and sophomore year it was actually the same thing I went back to receiver because I told the coaches I didn't like playing quarterback and so I went back to receiver and we started the season off one and four. And they didn't like how it was going. So they put me back at quarterback again. And then we finished five and five. There you go. <laughs> and so yeah. So um, and then uh coming into junior year, I started kind of hitting a growth spurt, but I still was a little bit undersized. I think I was like only five eleven my junior yeah. year, or probably six foot. Um, I didn't really hit my like growth spurt until my senior year. How like tall then, are you my now? junior, I'm I'm six four now. Yeah. So I think my junior going to senior year, I jumped from like six foot to like six, two, six, three. Mm-hmm. And so that was when I started actually playing receiver and started working on my craft, that kind of thing. Um, and I just found, I fell in love with the position. Um, I'm a big basketball player. I love hooping and I felt like receiver is one of those positions where you can implement basketball into how you play receiver. Like a lot of your releases you do, it's just like doing a crossover. And then just like going for that jump balls, like going for a rebound, you know what I mean? So um, I felt like a lot of the things that I played or I experienced in basketball, because I played basketball in high school, it definitely translated onto the field that helped me be that kind of receiver where I am that go attack the ball type mentality. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I definitely give. A, I would say playing quarterback was definitely a lot of fun, but receiver is definitely my position. I also yeah. played defense, but I don't know some some about just embarrassing people on the field at receivers is just something that you don't you don't get tired of that
1: <laughs> yeah it's a unique position and you don't have to take as much punishment as like a running back does
0: oh definitely
1: <laughs> yeah. I think there's a good correlation between basketball and football though for a lot of reasons I think you have a, a massive advantage I mean I know there's like memes about the bat the football player that like shows up to the basketball court and wants to like shoot like a deep three you know but I think there's definitely <laughs> a correlation with like the toughness if you're if you're from football and you go play basketball you're already like probably tougher than everyone else on the court and then if if you've played any defense in football like reading passing lanes in basketball and getting steals is like Mm -hmm. way easier if you've ever played like corner you know
0: yeah yes definitely
1: good correlation i saw a clip of you um i think you were a number nine in high school and it was a corner route in the red zone you went up and had a sick one-hand catch
0: oh yes yeah is, that, is that was the a, best
1: play of your high school career or do you have better ones
0: yeah i would say that was probably my best because that was the first viral clip i've ever had in my yeah. entire life i didn't even i didn't even know d1 bound was actually at the game it was actually okay. a regional championship game and it was actually the day of my birthday and so we were playing at uh oak hills and um it was actually a really close game and i think at that time it was like I think it was like 11 seconds before halftime and we needed a touchdown because we were going to kick the ball back to them. And I think we were down by a touchdown. So we didn't want to lose that opportunity to score to where they could get a two lead score on us. Mm -hmm. And um, we're in the, like I said, we were at the goal line and I think, I think it was a third down maybe. And the coach was going to run the ball in, but he, he decided to change it up last minute. He wanted me to run a corner route because the corner that was guarding me was a little bit undersized. He was shorter than me. And, um, you know, they trusted me to make that big play that we needed to get that touchdown. So, um, like you saw, it was just a corner route. And I remember when I watched the ball leave the quarterback's hand, I could already tell the ball was out of my reach. Mm. And I started freaking out because I'm like, oh, this is my chance. So I kind of did a desperation heave just to, like, throw my hand out there just to see if I could just touch the ball. And the ball kind of just stuck on my hand. And that was the one-hand catch. And, you know, Mm. I think it was good juju because it happened to be my birthday that same day. So that's probably why I was able to get that catch. But. But you know that was actually probably my most memorable football game because of just like the situation we were in. It was our first time ever being in a regional championship. There's a lot of hype going into it. Like I said, D1 bound was over there. I didn't even know about that until after halftime. We came mm-hmm. in and a lot of my teammates are like, "Hey, bro! Like D1 bound saw that they're gonna post it and everything. You're gonna be viral." <laughs> I was like, oh. "You're going to the league." I man. didn't even think. I thought they were. Yeah, I thought they were kidding, but um, but we ended up winning that game by one point. Wow. And, um, yeah, it was Big probably score. the best game I've ever played in high school. Yeah. So I even threw a touchdown in that game. We did a little, uh, receiver reverse pass that we did. So,
1: yeah,
0: like I said, I think it was because it was my birthday that I had such a good game that day, but I
1: <laughs> yeah. had a little Philly special in there too.
0: Yeah, definitely.
1: <laughs> um, that's awesome. Tell me about like the recruitment process and you know, what went into the decision to becoming a, you touched on a little bit earlier, but just walk me through that.
0: Yeah. So as I mentioned before, I had, a, I had a couple of schools looking at me, but um, I noticed the biggest thing with a lot of the power five schools I was trying to reach out to, they all had the same message where they told me I was too slow. Um, they said I had great route mechanics. I I could, they definitely loved how much I could like track the ball, how much of a ball hawk I was. But the biggest thing they were saying was like, I was too slow. Um, and then I had a couple D1 AA schools offer me and, you know, I was excited at the moment, but Something in me just told me, like you know, I I feel like I, I know I could play at the power five level. I know I can. I've been to camps before, and I played with dudes that have offers from like big schools. And I told myself, I know I could play at this level. I just have to be given the opportunity. Um, so as the recruiting process kept going, you know, even after my video went viral, I was hoping that was gonna be like that, you know, that little breakthrough that I needed yeah, for school to offer you me. Up but, the
1: rankings a little bit. Yeah,
0: yeah. But you know, nothing came. I don't even think I had a, any stars coming out of high school. I don't even think nobody, nobody really knew who I was. Yeah. Um, and so it was, as I mentioned before, Polynesians are very humble people, and that um, that whole process humbled me so much because it's just like it was. A, it was kind of a slap to the face to like because I was working so hard to get to that point, and how much I was training. I was doing a lot of offseason training. I quit basketball so I could do extra training for football, so I could get, you know, that scholarship i needed and nothing came and at first i started like blaming i started saying like oh it's maybe it's because i didn't go to a big enough school or you know i don't know what's going on um but at this time that's when i started like contemplating like i had to take a step back and re re reevaluate what i needed to do and at the time like i said i wasn't thinking of serving a mission but you know it kind of crossed my mind and after like some care like deep thinking and talking with my parents i ended up deciding to go uh like forego school and go on a mission and i think it was one of the best decisions i ever made and seeing how proud it made my parents when i told them i wanted to serve a mission you know that's something that i will always treasure cuz i saw how proud they were of me at that moment and that's when i kind of knew it was the right decision i made and so went on my mission came back two years later and um trying to find a home i didn't know where to go and i kind of told my parents i think i'm i might walk on somewhere i think that was the the choice i wanted to take because i felt like if i was just given the opportunity to show a power five school what i can do you know mm. i can show them that this is where i belong yeah just but, get in the door yeah just a foot in the door kind of thing but not playing football for two years and kind of jumping into the college football life is a big jump um i was a little bit not nah, i'm lying when i say that i was very nervous when i first like decided to walk on at utah because you know, I didn't know what to expect. Um, I didn't know how I was going to come back. I don't know if I would be as good as I left off when I was in high school, if I got slower out of shape, you know what I mean? Um, my cousin got, um, helped me out with one of the GAs that got my foot in the door. I got the preferred walk on spot. And, um, you know, one of the big reasons why I wanted to come to Utah was the Polynesian community. I had family out here as well. I knew that could save my parents a, a few, um, few thousand dollars from me not having to stay at the dorms and so that was another like reason why I wanted to come here as well just like I have people out here that could help support me while I'm you know trying to get a scholarship out here at Utah um so I stayed with my cousin um and the whole walk-on process was probably one of the most difficult things I've gone through in my entire life um like I said you're you're kind of like the hitting dummy of the team you know they don't really you don't get a lot of opportunities you get one opportunity if you screw it up then you're back at the bottom and where they don't even know your name and uh every day so we actually I who I was staying with they actually lived in West Valley and so I actually I didn't have a car because um my parents were using both the cars that they needed back in California so I actually was taking the tracks and when we used to have early morning workouts at 6 30 I used to have to wake up at four o'clock in the morning walk to the train station about 30 minutes from where we lived catch the first train there at five o'clock and then ride it all the way to school and I get there at six o'clock we'd have our workouts in the morning and then I'll go to school I'd stay at the library the whole day doing homework and until it's like practice time and then um, I'll hang out with a couple friends like some of the teammates on the, or some of the players on the team just to kind of pass time and all that stuff have a good time and then I'll probably take the tracks back home at like 9 or 10 p.m., get back home at, like, 11, and then I'll go to sleep and wake up the next day to do the same thing.
1: Did you ever think about just sleeping at the facility? Like, we hear those legendary stories of, like, uh, Chad Johnson or whatever. It's like, I slept in the training room.
0: I I wanted to, but, but, you know, I I wanted to keep a peace of mind to my family that I was staying with, that I was okay. You know what I mean? I didn't want to – they were giving up their, like, hospitality for me to come stay with them. And for me not to stay at the house was kind of rude in my mind. To not take that hospitality that they're giving me because they're making sacrifices just as much as i was and so that's why you know as much as i would i probably could have been sleeping at the facility it's just like it wasn't in my nature to do that kind of thing where people are sticking their necks out for me and i'm kind of not taking advantage of it you know what i mean or using the hospitality it gave me so yeah um but that's what i was doing every day just waking up at at four o'clock and just walking, whether it was rain, snow, or it was hot, I was walking every day to practice. And um, it was a humbling experience. But what kept me going every day um, was just knowing that my parents were sacrificing just as much because they were paying for my school. I didn't have a job. So I I couldn't pay for school. But they were so loving and so kind enough to let me make that sacrifice and make that decision. You know, that was a dream I wanted to do. And they weren't gonna let anything get in the way of that so they told me son don't worry about the money we're gonna do that for you you just worry about going to school getting your you getting your degree that's the biggest thing they cared about but also you know um hopefully getting that scholarship that I was trying to do uh trying to get and I feel like that's what gave me the edge that nobody else on the team had is that I had a reason why I was working my butt off every day because I didn't want my parents to pay for school I didn't want them to have to take out loans and all that stuff and so every day I always kind of came with that chip on my shoulder to like prove to everybody that I deserve a scholarship and so every day I just attacked the field I attacked the weight room I did what the coaches told me to do you know I never did anything wrong I was always on time I always made sure that you know I was just being coachable just so I can get that opportunity to showcase what I could do and you know through some miracle, you know, I got the opportunities that were needed during that spring ball year of 2019. And I was able to, you know, showcase what I could do. And my confidence started boosting because I could see that I could compete with these guys, you know. Uh, We were going up against those who are in the NFL right now, the best safeties, the best corners in the league with Jalen Johnson and Julian Blackman, you know, going up against those guys. Yeah, Terrell Burgess, going up against those guys every day, you know. It humbles you because you see the level you have to play at but it pushes you to understand what you need to do to get to that level, you know, and to compete with guys at that, that, that level. And, um, you know, through the blessings of the Lord, you know, I was able to get my scholarship um, within a year. And, you know, I I'm so grateful for my parents for just trusting me to, uh, to chase that dream. And, you know, um, and just that, that, like I mentioned before, kind of that background I grew up on that heritage of the Polynesian people, always working hard and staying humble, Never letting like, you know, all the publicity and all the fame get to your head, but just staying humble, remembering who who gives you all these opportunities, putting God first and always trusting in your family. And, you know, I think that's what helped me get to the point where I'm at right now. And, you know, uh, as crazy as that walk on story is and everything I went through, I don't say it just to like get like sympathy or it's like it makes for a cooler story. It's just showing like understanding what kind of person I grew up being. And it all stems from how my parents raised me. You know, just be humble and just do what you got to do. No matter what's thrown at you, you're going to find a way. And I feel like that's how I, like my whole football career has been. Everything I've ever done or tried to achieve, I've always had something blocking or something in the way of what I was trying to achieve. But that never caused me to falter or to start questioning what I'm doing. You know, it just made me understand that, you know, something's in the way now. I just got to find a way to get through this and just keep working. And I feel like even now, like I still have that walk on mentality. I still have this feeling that I still got a lot to prove and I know I have a lot to prove, but I'm understanding where I came from. I was at walk-on, but I got a lot to prove. And I'm going to have that mentality because every day I'm going to attack the day, like I have to earn that scholarship. I have to earn that respect. I have to earn that trust. And I feel that that's, what's been keeping me, you know, progressing in the right direction. You know, I've had my little falters here and there with a couple, um, you know, confidence issues or, you know, on the field, lack of production but I feel like I'm in the right direction to keep working and you know I got a lot to prove and I'm, I'm really excited for this upcoming season and you know having this mentality having this you know these experiences that I've experienced is what's helping me keep pushing forward.
2: Yeah. Devon you you came in in 2019 right? Yes. And then when were you granted the scholarship?
0: Uh, the beginning of 2020.
2: So what was that moment like when the coaches called you in and said, hey, we're going we're gonna to do this. We're going to put you on scholarship. Your work has paid off. What was that moment like?
0: Um, <laughs> it's actually funny. I actually found out in a bad way I had a scholarship. So after the season was done, we had the uh, Crimson Carpet Awards that they were doing. And um, I remember they sent a text message on our teamwork app telling everybody like um, all scholarship players have to attend this event. So make sure you're there. But walk-ons, we didn't have to. And so I remember I was chilling with some of my uh, walk-on friends at their house. We're playing 2K and all that stuff. And I get a call from Coach Holiday. And he's like, where are you? I was like, I'm (laughs) at home right now. He's like, why aren't you at the event? And I told him, I was like, oh, it's only for the scholarship players. Like the walk-ons, we don't have to be there. He's like, you're on scholarship. Did they not tell you that? I'm like, no, they (laughs) never told me anything. So it was actually really funny. Like It was kind of awkward because I didn't even know I was on scholarship. But that's how I found out. But um, as funny as it was, you know, it was a huge relief to me because I remember right after I got that call, the first people I called were my parents because, you know, that was a moment I wanted to share with them. It was something that, you know, all three of us were working so hard, you know what I mean? They were sacrificing, working extra hours to get that extra money to help pay for my school and, you know, me putting in the extra time for football to, you know, achieve that scholarship. So calling them and hearing how proud they were of me and how happy they were, you know, it was one of the like best feelings I've ever felt in my life. And, you know, one of the best news I was able to break to them because um, there were times where I started questioning whether or not like I would get it if it was time for me to hang up the cleats, but, you know, I just kept pushing. They always kept helping me, uh, helping me stay positive. And, you know, we were able to reap the benefits and it's, it's a memory now that I always cherish for the rest of my life.
1: Your story kind of sounds like a sports movie, man. (laughs) It really does though. I'm like waking up, grinding, taking the train through the snow, (laughs) walking at 4 a.m. And that story of you getting the call is pretty awesome. But, like, I mean, there's a reason that a lot of sports movies are kind of made after that total underdog, like the walk-on story. And even, like, in the NFL, like, half the players that make it in the league are undrafted. It's crazy. So it Mm -hmm. just goes to show that, like, just because you're not at, like, a certain status at one point, it means nothing once you get to that next level because everyone has to earn their spot every day. Like, that's just how it is. Um, tell me about last season and, and how you got your nickname last year.
2: Oh, the the secret weapon nickname? Hey, Devon, um, just about I'm... every guy in the room told me that you were the secret weapon during fall <laughs> camp. That, every single guy, you know, Britt, Solo, JD, every single guy was like, that's our secret weapon right there.
0: <laughs> um you know shout out to them I never even heard of that nickname until I was interviewed and they were saying oh people are saying you're the secret weapon I was like oh I, I didn't even know about that I was just I like I said I'm not a big like social media person I'm actually a really boring person I know people don't like interviewing me because it's just like I sound super boring but you know I'm just not a big person who likes putting myself out there um and so when I heard it at first I I tried shooting it down it's like no no, 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 I'm just doing whatever the coaches need me to do. You know, that's just kind of person. I am just staying humble and grinding, but um, you know, I'm grateful to those guys, you know, JD, Britton, even Samson and uh, BT. Um, Solo, all those guys, when I first got here, they were helping me so much when I first got here, you know, um, they saw my potential and every day they would tell me like, Hey, keep doing what you're doing. You're doing really good. You know, coaches are starting to take note and that kind of confidence helped Bolstered me up to where I needed to be, and you know, on the days where I started questioning whether I should be out there, you know, those guys were kind of the ones who picked me up. And you know, Covey would always come up to me and always just, you know, he always has that smile on his face, and he's always telling me like, "Hey, bro, you know, you're you're different, bro. Like, you you're gonna be you're gonna be fine." And um you know, the, and they would take time to help me out. Like, if they saw something on film that I could work on or like improve, they would tell me. It was one of those like chemistries that we had with each other where we're just always helping each other out we're trying to make the room better um so uh you know fall camp i felt like it was my time to show um that i could move on from that walk-on um kind of persona that i had of everybody had of me and show them that now i'm not that walk-on anymore now i'm one of the guys that can produce at a high level i'm one of those guys that they can turn to i'm no longer just a walk-on i'm the starter i'm the receiver one you know what i mean and so that's what i was trying to prove last fall camp and it was definitely humbling at first because i know i wasn't getting as much playing time as i wanted at the beginning um but you know i just trusted the process understood that you know my time will come and when it comes i just got to show up um the season before you know i had my opportunities but i didn't make the most of it and you know into that off season after the 2020 seasons when i started really working hard and you know I already knew what to expect from the games. Now that I had a taste of what it was like being on the field, being under Mm -hmm. the lights. Now I knew what I had to expect. I knew what I had to work on. And that's what I worked on so much coming up into the 2021 season. And I felt like now was my opportunity to show them that now that I got the jitters out, I can start balling out like I normally would, like how I do in practice. That's why everybody kept saying like, oh, I'm the secret weapon because I would do these things in practice. But When it came game time, there was just something that I just couldn't, I I don't know if it was because of lack of opportunity or the lack of confidence, but it's just, it wasn't translating onto the field. Mm. And I knew that was my biggest blockade I was having. And so approaching that 2021 season fall camp, you know, it was understanding that was what's holding me back and that's what I needed to get over. That was the other blockade I had to get over. And, um, you know, the opportunities finally came where the ball started rolling and I started, you know, getting... Uh, the publicity and all that stuff but I tried my best not to let that get to my head because I knew deep inside that I still had a lot more to prove and that's what I'm kind of going into this 2022 season with that same mentality you know as great and as magical as last season was we got a new season coming ahead we got a lot more to prove we got a target on our back so now I understand that now that I'm out there I may not be as like a threat as like brant Keith or Donald Kiket or Cam Rising is on the offensive side, but I'm still somebody that they know about. And, you know, I want to be one of those guys that when they watch film, they're like, we need to watch out for this guy. We need to bring an extra man. You know what I mean? Like yeah. I want them to have that mentality keep, of me, keep the so. safety on top. Yeah. yeah. So <laughs> that's what's been pushing me this year. And especially with, me being a lot older than a lot of the other guys, because I went on a mission, you know, Mm. my clock is ticking a lot faster than everybody else. I don't have time to do another year and try to like keep building up my stock. It's like, I feel like this is my season now to prove who I am and Mm. what I need to do and what I need to accomplish. And so that's, what's been pushing me so much this season. And even in spring ball, I've been putting as much work as I have been, as I possibly can um, just to achieve the goals that I have set out for me. Cause I feel like I, I I'm, I could play at the next level. I just have to show that to everybody. I need to get that opportunity. Just like I had, I need that opportunity when I came into college.
2: Yeah. Devon, did you see what coach bump said about you during spring camp?
0: Uh, no, I didn't.
2: <laughs> so I'll, let me read you what he said. And I'd like to just get your reaction. So you know, people, somebody asked, so you were the talk of, of spring camp, right? I mean, you, you've definitely showed that you could you're ready to take your game to that next level. And, um, someone asked about you and he just said, you know, they said, what's, what's been the difference. And, and coach Baum said confidence. He's very confident. He's seen us. he's seen himself make some plays and he's comfortable. Um, I'm not moving him around as much because it's so easy for guys like him. He knows all three receiver spots, put him at X and let him get comfortable. He sees himself make some plays and it's been more consistent. This is the big, this is where I'm, you know, I'm blown away at, at this comment. And, and it makes me feel like you can be one of those guys. You were talking about Dalton Kincaid, Brent, Keithy, Cam rising saying, Oh, maybe I can't be that level. Dude. I think you can. And, and it's based off what coach bump said, right? I mean, wide receivers coach, he knows you. He said he can be that player for us. And he's special. He's a six, four, six, five guy with crazy athleticism, a catch radius. That's unbelievable. And he can do what we need him to do. And it changes the offense. That's some pretty high praise from a guy that knows what he's talking about. Yeah. What do you think about that?
0: Um, You know, ever since uh, Coach Bump has come to be our receivers coach, you know, me and him have actually had a really close relationship. Um, Even the first day he came in, I remember he told me, he's like, oh, I could tell you're different. You know what I mean? And he told me, do you believe that you could be the best receiver in college football or in the Pac-12 And I kind of laughed and I was like, yeah, I think so. He's like, no, do you truly believe it? Are you just saying what you want me to hear you say? And, you know, he always asked me that even during the fall or even during the fall season, like there wasn't a practice I would go by where he wouldn't just come and ask me. He's like, do you really believe you're the best receiver out here? And he always kept pestering that question into me. And, you know, it came to the point where I started like asking myself, do I truly believe that I am? And one thing, I like I said, I'm very – I like staying as humble as I can, you know what I mean? But there's a difference between gloating and being proud of your achievements. And I feel like that's the difference that, you know, my wife helps me understand that all the time because, you know, I always try to like play the humble card and be like, you know, no, that's not me. You know, I got to keep doing, but she's telling, she told me that, you know, there's a difference between being gloating about yourself and being proud of your achievements. And she said, you should be proud of what you've done so far. And, you know, and that's kind of the mentality I've had. I'm proud of what I've done but that doesn't mean I'm satisfied. As much as I, you know, people are starting to call me the receiver one, you know, oh yeah, he's start, He's gonna be the one to go crazy. You know, I try to block out all that noise because I don't want it to get to my head. I need to understand that, you know, I still got a lot to prove. I still got to stay humble and keep grinding because if I get comfortable and I get satisfied, that's when people start passing me up. And as competitive as a person I am, I don't like it when people pass me up. You know what I mean? I like kind of being the underdog that sneaks up and just surprises everybody because I've been doing it most of my life. And so, you know, I appreciate bump saying that. And, you know, like I said, he's been a huge part at helping me um, achieve that confidence I need. And as I mentioned before, you know, I don't want to be another Brand Keithy or Dalton Kikade or Cam Rising. I want to be a Devon Villa. I want people to say, Oh, that's a Devon Villa right there. You know what I mean? So Um, I had that mentality coming into the season. I got a lot to prove. Um, You know, I'm grateful for the fan base and everybody who's cheering behind me and all that. Um, But, you know, I won't let that fame get to my head. I'm going to just keep keeping my head low, keep grinding. And, you know, I'm going to trust that in this process that, you know, whatever is meant to be is meant to be. But I'm going to do whatever is in my power to achieve what I want to achieve.
1: Yeah, I think it's interesting. It's a really fine line balancing, like, being humble and being competitive and trying to be that guy, you know, it's a lot of weird things to balance and you don't really want to be that all oh, shucks guy forever. You know, it's just like, mm-hmm. oh, I'm, I'm just, and also if you really are that guy, you're not going to be the underdog forever either. Like mm-hmm. underdogs are only underdogs for so long. And then yeah. the target's on your back. Um, how would you describe the potential success of this team compared to years past?
0: I feel like, The biggest thing that's different from this team, from other teams past, is the fact that we're coming off a championship year. You know, 2019, we had an amazing team, but we fell short. You know what I mean? Um, 2018, I wasn't a part of that team, but it was the same story. You know, we're always that team that makes it to the Pac-12 championship, but then we'd always lose. But this year was different because now we actually won the championship. So now this team has the target on our back to where now we're not just the team that, oh, they're really good at the Pac-12 but they just can't win a champion. Now we're the team to beat. Everybody has a target on our back. And, you know, I feel like that's what's making this team so much different from all the other ones. Even for me, I could just feel the environment's different, even with all the coaches. There's a sense of anxiety, but also excitement for this season because it's this new terrain for us. We're Pacto championship team now. And now we got people who look at us on the schedule and they circle us now. We're no longer that just another team on the schedule. We're that team that they need to win. That's the yeah. game we need to win. And so that's how we're approaching every day is understanding that we are the team with the target on our back. So we can't be complacent with where we've been. We've yeah. lost a lot of star players and Devin Lloyd, you know, Nephi Sewell, um, you know, Nick Ford, all those guys. We lost a lot of big time players, Covey, and we have big shoes to fill. But at the same time, we need to understand that we're a new team and we don't need to replicate what we did last year. We need to exceed the expectations now. We need to exceed everything we've ever done. So we need to be even a better team than 2019 or 2018 or 2021. We need to be that 2022 football team that goes even farther beyond that wins the Pac-12 championship and then goes to whatever it is, whether it's the Rose Bowl, the college football playoff, whatever it is, whatever the the expectations are a lot more higher this year and you know we just need to step up to the plate and understand that and good thing is we have a lot of veteran guys who experienced the the championship run last year and you know we're the ones who was trying to usher in these freshmen that are coming in to understand the culture that we have that is no longer just like oh you come in try to understand what you're doing like no we had freshmen playing last year so you guys need to come in here with the mentality that you got to step up when we call your name so um i'm excited for this year i'm excited for a lot of the guys we got a lot of good talent this year um and i'm excited for to see like What's going to come about this team but i have a really good feeling we're, we're going to be a really good team this year we're going to surprise a lot of people shock a lot of people and no better way to do that than playing florida on the first game to so show the world you know utah football is here to stay
1: yeah for real i one interesting thing i feel like boxing and ufc have this aspect of like defending the title or like defending the belt you know and we don't really think of it as much with football and basketball but i think it matters like you can have a really successful team and you go on and win the championship or whatever it is. But I almost think it's more impressive how that team defends that title. Mm -hmm. Is that a mindset that you guys talk about? We
0: talk about it all the time. Um, Even with our off-season workouts, everything we talk about is defending the title. Mm -hmm. Um, You got to realize too that because we are the champions, it's no longer teams are coming to play us and it's just another game. They're going to bring their all. So that means every game, whether it's SUU, SDSU, or Florida, or Oregon, or USC – Everybody's going to bring their best because we won the championship. Because they want to see, okay, if these guys won the championship. Let's see how we fare against them. You know what I mean? So they're going to bring our, their best. So we're not going to get a game this year where they're kind of just like, ah, oh, it's just one of those throwaway games. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Yeah. Like every game's not a track game this year anymore. Everybody's coming for our heads because we're the champions now. Mm-hmm. And so defending, being a defending title champion is a lot harder than you trying to achieve that championship title, in yeah. my opinion. Sure. Because you're getting the best out of everybody. Yeah. You know, when you're kind of just making that championship run, some teams may have those games where they overlook you. They're like, oh, they're just that other team. And then they get to fight. No, this this year is one of those years. It's just like every game is yeah. gonna be their best of the best against us. So you're not
1: you're not flying under the radar anymore. Yeah.
0: We're we're no longer flying under the radar. So we gotta understand that. And I feel like we've understood that very well. And I feel like that's what's pushing us. But you know, we got a lot more to prove. We got a lot of things to work on and um you know, spring, spring ball was a a chance for us to see what we have going into the season. And we got to see a lot of things we can work on and we got some more talent coming in. So, you know, I'm excited to see what fall camp holds in store for us and to start seeing this team actually come together.
2: What kind of conversations do you guys have regarding what you just talked about? Right. I mean, especially college athletics and college football, it's all about upsets, right? I mean, Mm -hmm. you have, you have, I I, I shouldn't say that any team is exempt, but we know those teams that, that sometimes are, but a lot of the times you have high ranked teams that are even in the top five, top three, that they'll go in against a non-ranked team and they lose. Mm-hmm. Um, and how, how do you guys try to combat that? What kind of conversations are you guys having as a team to make sure that that's not you, right? I mean, mm-hmm. week one, Florida, you guys, you guys, all the preseason rankings, it's top 10, Florida mm-hmm. prop, might not be that good of an SEC team it's still the SEC but might not be that good of an SEC SEC team so how how do you guys try to combat those those cocky thoughts right like Mm -hmm. instead of thinking like we're it like we're the real deal we're the Pac-12 champions and then not making sure that you guys don't blow it like how what kind of conversations do you guys have
0: Um, there's more of a serious tone with the team um even just us approaching our workouts or like like our throwing sessions that we have you know um there's time to, to goof around and have fun. And there's time to get serious. And, you know, with off season, it's very easy to have that relaxed feeling like goof around and all that stuff, because it's off season. It's not like we play a game this week, but you know, the difference between championship teams and ordinary teams or championships teams take everything serious, even off season work. And, you know, that's what we've been trying to implement. We can still have fun. Like I'm not taking away the fun at all, but it is understanding that we need to be serious at the same time because of how tough this year is going to be. And, you know, we can't sugarcoat it. I mean, look at USC. They've been picking up people left and right. They're building basically a huge super team now. And that's basically going to decide who's going to the Pac-12 championship. It's us versus them. You know what I mean? And so we just got to understand that, you know, we got to bring that seriousness into how we approach the day even with this offseason, we still have a few months or a couple months left before we actually go into fall camp. And it's understanding what we're going to do in these next couple of months is going to determine how we approach fall camp and how we're going to come in. Are we going to come in kind of lackadaisical and soft? Or are we going to come in hitting the ground running? And so uh, we, we always try to bring that mentality every day when we have our workouts and all that stuff, having that seriousness, because in all honesty, you have the most fun in football when you're winning, you don't have fun with football when you're losing. And so, We understand that fun is a big part of football, but that fun comes along with the success and success only comes through working hard. And so that's what we're trying to implement. We always tell the guys, you know, as much as we're having fun joking around, we got to get serious when we got to get serious. And when it's time to work, it's time to work.
1: Well, a lot of expectations for the season. We're really excited for it. I think this episode has been a really good opportunity to get to know you and your background, get an insight on the team from your perspective and your story. I think this has been great. We want to finish up here with your top five songs.
0: Um, So I'm actually a kind of a, I'm an old school. I got an old soul because growing up, my parents always listened to uh, this station called 92.5 back in San Diego. And they always play these old school songs. So mm-hmm. I actually grew up listening to old school songs. And so um, I was actually going to do my top five old school songs because, you know, you can never go wrong with the oldies. Nice. Um, so uh, I I'd say my top five songs are probably uh fantasy by earth wind and fire oh honey by the delegation telephone man by new edition is my third emotions by roger it's my fourth and my song that i can always listen to any day anytime and it always put me in a good mood is never too much by luther vandross so those are my five favorite songs
2: (laughs) what a list are yeah, these the songs that when you get in the car with your teammates, that they hand you the ox, that that's what you're plugging in, or not?
0: And no, I can't do that. You gotta realize I'm a lot older than these kids. So like, read the dude, room. I'll, I'll the play room.
2: that music. I'll play that music, and they'd be like, "What is this?" Like, I'm, I'm with
0: a bunch of 18 year olds. I'm 24 years old. They ain't gonna know this music.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: So, but I will you're say, not, this you're not is putting the music. that
1: on in the weight room.
0: Oh no, 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 no. They, they don't. They wouldn't know it. They wouldn't vibe with it like I do. It doesn't hit the same. You know what I mean? yeah but when I'm cleaning or something or I'm just like it's a day after practice we just finished our hard practice I get to go home, home to my wife and get some food yeah I'll be playing this music in my car just vibing
1: <laughs> <laughs> so that's that's influenced like all by your parents it sounds like
0: oh yeah I, I remember like I said every morning when they used to drive me to school they would have that station on 92.5 mm. and they'd always be playing oldies music and so that's why it's so funny because like I'll listen to this music, and I'll, uh, people always be like, "Man, what you know about this song? You didn't, even, you weren't even born when this song came out." And I'm like, yeah. oh, "My parents always listened to it, so I know it. Yeah. Like, I, I know it. Like, I lived that time." So,
1: yeah, I think everyone, hopefully, everyone can relate to that to a certain degree. I remember like driving to church every Sunday morning. There's this one radio station that my dad would put on every Sunday. It was called Breakfast with the Beatles. Oh, okay. They just play Beatles songs on the way to church <laughs> every single Sunday. That was. Our spiritual preparation on the way to church.
2: And <laughs> yeah, that's the best way to prepare right there. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Devon, are you are you a guy in the locker room right before a game that you've got on a, a headset and you're getting pumped? Is that your is that your kind of vibe right before? Oh, I it was actually funny. I actually switched up my music
0: playlist. So I used to listen to like my rap music all the time before games and all that stuff, kind of get pumped. Um, like I want to go take somebody's head off. And, um, you know, every time I used to listen to that music, I would have a decent game or I'd have a very bad game. But then there was one one day, like one of the games we were playing, it was actually USC. I was super nervous because it was the first time I was ever going to start for for Utah football. This was this last year. Yeah, this is this past year. And so I was really nervous and, you know, I was trying to listen to my rap music, but it just wasn't. I was too nervous to hear the music. You know what I mean? To get me Mm -hmm. starting to feel it. And um, by accident, I accidentally pressed shuffle. And um, one of my old school musics came on and it kind of just calmed me down. And I was kind of mm. like, oh, I kind of like this feeling of it. So I switched to my old school playlist and I played it. And then that's when I had the USC game and I had a great game. And so ever since then, now I actually listen to old school music. Like when I for my pregame, so if you ever see me bobbing my head, I'm not listening to no little baby or anything. I'm probably listening to like Michael
2: Jackson or like Earth Wind and Fire or something. So, <laughs> so so it's so it's not the confidence that's been the game changer. It's been the 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 mood of music.
0: It, it might be. I'm uh, that's what it sounded like to me because I just feel like when I listen to that music, I'm a lot more calmer and I feel like I'm having fun out there. It's no longer like I'm super uptight. It's just I'm relaxed and I'm calm and I'm just shoot, I'm playing football on a Saturday. It doesn't get better than that. It's awesome
1: what you should do is one day in the weight room just throw on some earth wind and fire and just see how the room re- you got to videotape the room and just see how they react yeah i can
0: already see some of the players because i know some of the players only listen to rap music so they're going to hear that and be like man turn this off like
1: <laughs> start with start with september by earth wind and fire everyone knows that song get them rolling and then just no, try, dive in get the out D out D- yeah, nobody's getting
0: mad at MJ, so I could probably play yeah. that. They're gonna think that Coach Witt got the Ox court or something like that. No, nah, they, they know when Coach Witt on the Ox when they're playing like ACDC and Bon Jovi and all that. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, Devon, this has been an awesome first episode. Really excited for the rest of the season uh, through the off season, and then obviously kicking back up with the, the start of the football season in the fall. Really looking forward to it.
0: Yeah, looking forward to it as well. Appreciate you guys taking time today. Thanks, no worries. Devon. That was fun, man. Yeah, I had fun. All right. Okay, have a talks, good man. one, man. We'll be in touch. All right. Sounds good. You guys have a good one.
1: Go, Salts. All right.
0: <laughs> Thanks for listening to Fourth and Seventeen, the Devon Village Podcast, presented by Fan Nation All Utes. This episode was produced by Lyric Clark and Cole Bagley. Please subscribe and leave a review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. If you enjoyed the show, please share with a friend. Go, Utes.